loving Father, today as we learn to stand up like Daniel, as sure as the Lord, we never ever stand up alone because the Lord Jesus stands up with us. It's just like Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 says, in these days during the great time of trouble, Michael shall stand up for his people to vindicate them and to strengthen them. Therefore, Lord, help us never to think about the crisis without the Christ walking with us through the crisis. Help us never to think of the fiery furnace without thinking of the Son of Man who will walk with us in the fire and fighting fire with fire because he is the consuming fire. Help us never to think of the storm without thinking of the Prince of Peace standing up in the midst of a storm and saying, peace be still. Dear Lord, what would we do do without you. May we always be inseparable. May we always be the small shell stuck in the rock. And because the rock is immovable, we'll become immovable with Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you for coming back. The question I want to ask you at the beginning of this session, how is it possible for us to stand up like Daniel and be counted for Christ and his truth? How is it possible for us when there is all kinds of pressure around us to play it safe, don't offend anybody, go along with the crowd, and today even evil acts, if you come across intolerant of evil acts, you consider a greater sinner than the evildoer himself. Isn't that interesting? And isn't the Bible intolerant? of evil, today in our postmodern age, we're not only supposed to tolerate evil behavior, now the pendulum has swung so vastly, now we're supposed not only tolerate, but accept, and now support. Someday Sunday law will be imposed and you'll not be told we're tolerant. If you want to worship on Sunday, fine. No, it will be enforced by law. And you will have to, by law, not only tolerate it, but, but also support it. Support it. This is the age we live in today. So the question is, how shall we stand? I want to start our seminar with something in our textbook, page 140. 140. Uh, let's see. We used that yesterday. I let you borrow some of the books. I don't know. Some of you might be new here for the seminar. We are using the book, Dare to be a Daniel, How to Empower the Final Remnant. And the Lord blessed me with this book after four years of research. And you can borrow it and use it when we don't mark it. But when we finish with the seminar, bring it back to the front. Okay, and we can use it in other seminars. Now then, I think we have, we have some left of the book, Dare to be a Daniel. Who doesn't have it here? Or even if you forgot in your tent, at least you could borrow it for now. Okay, we have like 18, 20. Okay, uh, let's see here. See, uh, I'm so glad to have my old read. No, I don't mean old reader. I mean my reader at Southern Adventist who used to work for me some years back. Jennifer. Okay, Jennifer. Would you help? I don't see my wife around. Could you excuse me for a second? Yes, there is a box here that has these books. Dare to be a Daniel. Okay, would you help me with that? I, I, I used to pay you by the hour. Now you're going to work maybe for 10 minutes. And with inflation, maybe I'll pay my reader maybe for 10 minutes, $5. Wouldn't that be good? What happened to my wife? She is my partner always. Do you know what happened to her? She is gone. 
could somebody go and find my wife and bring her back to me? Because we are partners. I can't function uh, to my maximum power without my wife being around because she prays for me. Would you please pray for me? Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. I said, page 140. I know you're going to be encouraged by this. 140. Okay, look at the last paragraph on page 140. You see, you prayed for my wife to come back, and she is back. Right there. Welcome back, my A student. I will not count the fact that you joined us late. It's all okay. My wife took all my classes, and she got A's in all of them without me helping her. Isn't that nice? She said, you help others, don't help me. I can make it on my own. That's what you call salvation by works. The last paragraph. This is a glorious reality that it is actualized in the believer's life. It's a union of confession and conduct, profession and possession, principle and piety. When we, Ellen White said, when we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart, the will is merged in his will, the mind becomes one with his mind, the thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We live his life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. I don't know if I told you the story about this pastor with a hobby collecting shells. He lived next to the, next to the seashore. And you know, shells represent all of us including me. They are light, they are blown away by winds, they are tossed by the waves, they are stepped on by other people, they are covered up by the sand, insignificant. So he collected the shells he liked, and he kept in his hand, and then as he walked further, he saw a rock, solid rock, situated between the crashing waves and the sifting sands. Maybe a mountain beneath it, Jesus is represented by the rock. And he saw a pretty little shell sitting on the top of the rock. He liked the shell, and so he tried to pick it and add it to his collection, but he couldn't because it was stuck in the rock. And then he tried harder to pry it loose. He couldn't. He put all the shells aside. Now with both hands, he tried to pry it loose. He could not because the shell was stuck on the rock. That's our only hope, to be stuck in Jesus. And you become immovable like Jesus is immovable. I pray our lives will be stuck in Jesus' rock, immovable. A shell can never be stable or strong or firmly established unless it's stuck in the rock. Like the great Christian mother, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a professor at the University of Chicago, enjoying a prestigious position. But when he saw what Hitler was doing in Germany, he risked his life to go back to Germany and speak truth to power. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was like a Daniel who was brave enough to stand up for Jesus. And you know what happened? Before Hitler committed suicide, he advised his lieutenants to make sure Bonhoeffer, languished in prison, would be killed. And he was martyred for the cause of Christ. But he wrote a classic book I love called The Cost of Discipleship. In it, he wrote these statements. If you're called to follow Jesus, you're called for an exclusive attachment to his person. Discipleship means adherence to Christ. In that statement, I find two important words, attachment and adherence. That's what discipleship is. Daniel was attached to Jesus and he adhered to Jesus. And the question I want to ask all of us, what are we attached to today? Is there anything in this world that's holding us back? 
I was teaching last semester. I was teaching some semester ago. The course last the events, and apparently I was quite persuasive that Christ's coming was soon. A young lady came to my office, almost crying, feeling sad and disappointed with the lecture. Why, my good student, you feel disappointed? Because you made me believe that Jesus was coming soon. What's wrong with that? Isn't that wonderful? I don't want him to come because I'm dating a nice guy and I want to experience marriage before Jesus comes. My friends, the question I want to ask you, what are you attached to in this world? What are you adhering to? Is it marriage? Is it your possessions? Is it your achievements? Do you love Jesus more than anything else, more than anyone else? Don't you think the creative genius mind of God who made marriage possible for us in this world, and if it is, according to God, what it brings tremendous joy in this wicked world, don't you think in heaven he will create something for us that millions of times even better. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God is preparing for his people. And people look at nature and say, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just beautiful sight? In heaven, you will have the most gorgeous sights. You're amazed as a, as a, as a, a gifted child who can sing like an angel in heaven not just one person will be gifted to sing every one of us will be the greatest singers singing like angels so sweetly and so beautifully like the angels even myself would somebody say amen to that won't you like to sing like the angels someday i sometimes feel a little bit jealous when my wife plays the harp and the piano because I'm not musical, when somebody sings so beautifully, Lord, I love music. Will you help me sing like this someday? And once in a while, I have this dream, reoccurring dream. It's a wonderful dream. And I see Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven. And I'm joining the angels in the clouds of heaven. And I'm singing with them. And I can testify to you the truth. In my dream, I sound awesome. And every time I tell myself, in the dream, it's a dream. But then I remind myself, in the dream, last time it was a dream, this was reality. In my dream, I'm telling myself that. And I wake up, and I try my voice, and it sounds bad. You know something? In my dream, I wish I could tape myself. I could tape myself. But someday, the dream will become a reality when Jesus comes. Not only in singing, in every gift. In every gift. We'll be made perfect in Jesus to explore the universe with him and to study the science of salvation of all the unfallen beings. It will be the most exciting experience. Now, this is the text I use in our book, Dare to be a Daniel, which comes from Psalm 16 and verse 8. And what does Psalm 15 verse 8 tell us? I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I shall not be moved. We're talking about standing firm in the last days. I shall not be moved. That's a promise. In fact, when you look at the biblical Hebrew it means more than move. Because moving means you move from point A to point B. But literally, the verb means in Hebrew, shaken. And there's a difference between moved and shaken. There's a difference between a man moving from here to here, then shaking in his boots. And the actual verb itself comes from the root word of earthquake. Not only shaking, but the earth shaking from beneath you. So therefore, how to stand firm in the last days like Daniel stood firm in his faith? How can we dare to be Daniels today? How do we dare to stand alone? The shell has to be stuck in the rock. You and me must be attached 
to Jesus. That's the only way. United, we stand with Jesus. Alone, we fail. We live in a culture that's independent. People take pride in being individualistic. That's fine to be a cowboy. There's nothing wrong with that. When it comes to spiritual matters, we must depend on Jesus. Leave the cowboy mentality to watching Westerns. But certainly, don't be a cowboy with Jesus. You say, Lord, I need you desperately. That's not a sign of weakness, a sign of strength. When you need Jesus and you attach yourself to him. Now, look at this promise in Psalm 16 and verse 8. It starts with what? I have said the Lord always in front of me. It's a personal decision. Nobody can make it for you. You have to take ownership of this. I myself have to make this decision to do what? To set the Lord Jesus always in front of me. And because he is at my right side, I shall not be moved. So what's the secret for not being shaken? What's the secret? The two locations of Jesus. Real estate agents emphasize the word location, right? Location, location, location. Now I want to talk to you about the location of Jesus. Where is his location in our lives to help us stand up and not be shaken? The first location is what? I've said the Lord always in front of me, which means the focal point of my attention. And the question we ask ourselves, what do we set in front of us today? And research tells us that the vast majority of people spend many precious hours setting the screen in front of me. No, it's not television anymore. One of the social medias, but now it's mostly the smartphone. Mostly the smartphone. How many countless hours our young people spend with the smartphone? There's so many interesting things on the smartphone. God can use the smartphone to do good, and Satan can use it effectively to do evil. Therefore, since Jennifer graduated from Southern Adventist University, now our young people are obsessed with the cell phone. They're addicted. It's changing the patterns of their thinking. It's moving us to a different mental paradigm. They're stuck with it. I had a young lady come to me for counseling about a major problem in her life. And while I was doing my best to counsel her and help her with good ideas, she was text messaging her friends. And she didn't feel anything wrong. She's so used to it. And when I started praying for her, begging God to help her, she was still text messaging during the prayer. Students now come to classes. Why do they have to pay attention to lecture? They are text messaging and using, I'm not saying some students don't use it for a good cause, but many of them use it to watch movies and watch everything else. It's more interesting than the lecture. And so, in all my course outlines, I have these statements, bolded, underlined, capitalized. If you want to have the privilege of joining Dr. Samar's class, because my classes are sought after, I have one condition for you, no electronics in my class. Now, people think I'm crazy. One of them says, Dr. what's your problem? You must be really ancient. I said, I am. I admit to being old. Come on, we're in the age of electronics. I said, you can use them. But if you want to have the privilege to join my class for four, 50 minutes every, every other day, then you and I work together. Students, faculty, we all work together in the class. We don't want any interference. So if you come to class with your smartphone, anything you put in, shut it off and you put it in your bag. And your grade depends on that. And then we learn the art. We learn the, the dying art of learning how to listen. And how to be able to listen to some ideas. Understand them, synthesize them, and learn to put them 
in words. Oh, Dr. Salman, I don't like to write. Writing is not my thing. I don't care how much we know about computers. I advise you, it's a good idea for a human being to learn the art of taking a pencil and, and, and forming words. Isn't that fun? And if you're really dating someone, you love them, don't text message them. Write them with your own handwriting on a piece of paper. You know what I'm saying? And please don't always use the Bible, electronic Bible. It's okay. But why not have a Bible with leather binding? And you feel the leather and the pages and how you underline in yellow and where there's something tangible. Well, you see, Dr. Saman, I'll always have my cell phone. So I'll always have the Word of God. You know something? Our government doesn't know what to do if we had an attack against our electric grid. America can be crippled overnight. And Ted Koppel, a famous journalist, did a research four years, came up with a book interviewing CIA, security, uh, uh, security departments in this nation. And his conclusion was, he was told, and he has it in the book, we are not ready for such an attack. Where will you charge your cell phone? You assume it always works? Have you ever had the problem when you forgot to charge your phone and you're traveling and you need every second and you preserve every second and now it comes to the last minute? Your cell phone, I don't care if it's iPhone or Galaxy, whatever it is. It won't work with electricity, by the way. It's like a body without the breath of God, dead. It's good to be old-fashioned once in a while. Nothing wrong to carry a Bible. Nothing wrong to learn how to write. Oh, Dr. Saman, writing is not my thing. Well, go ahead and read the textbook. Reading is not my thing. Really? You're a college student? You don't want to write and read? What's happening to our nation? So I tell my students, no electronics in my class. It's not for the whole day, just my 50 minutes. I tell you, the grades have improved. They are thanking me for it. Dr. Saman, it's so wonderful to take a little vacation from the control of electronics. I enjoyed your class. I was able to listen. It was fun. We discussed things together. My grades are better. Why am I... Well, I'm telling this because of location. The location of Christ in our lives, where? It's not the screen, it's the Lord Jesus. What's your choice? What's my choice? Would you rather have Jesus in front of you or the screen? I have said the Lord always in front of me. What does that mean? What does it imply when Christ is in front of us? What does that imply? He is what? Our guide. He's our leader. And if he's our guide and our leader, we shall never be shaken. That's what it implies. He's in front of us. There is a second position for Christ in our lives. What is it according to this text? He's at our right hand. In other words, I'm sorry to pick on you, Jennifer. I mean, I'm glad you're here. She was my reader, very faithful leader. You know, and I called her my right hand person. Because she took many burdens off my shoulders, my reader. I depended on her. I relied on her. I totally trusted her. She was my right-hand person. I want to apply this not to Jennifer, but Jesus. What's the location? He is at my right hand, which implies what? He is my right-hand person who is there to help me as he walks next to me. I tell you something, if we focus on these two locations of Jesus in our lives and experience, we'll never be shaken. How can you be shaken? Because Christ is never shaken. The rock is never shaken. And what's happening? He is your guide. He is your leader. He is your right-hand person. He is your helper. Therefore, we'll never be shaken. There's a commercial by an insurance company called Prudential. And they guarantee you if you pay your premiums, and no catastrophe, no earthquake will go and check. We take care of everything. We give you security. And their slogan is what? Their slogan says what? Have a peace in the rock. I tell you, 
where Jesus comes in with a big earthquake, bigger than the big one that's going to happen in Southern California. Mountains will be dumped into the sea, islands will disappear. I'm talking about that big one. And prudential will do you no good. And the only real insurance is to have a peace in the rock, Jesus. And that's the precious time God has given us now. Like the textbook says, Daniel developed that spiritual reservoir, that bank of deposit in his spirituality. So he wasn't surprised he was ready because he purposed in his heart ahead of time not to compromise. When you're walking with Jesus, you have the spiritual energy and reservoir. You won't compromise because how can you disappoint your best friend Jesus walking with you? Joseph in Egypt walking with Jesus every day, attached to Jesus. Unite with Jesus. Communicate with Jesus. Jesus was everything to him. And when the wife of Potiphar, no denial, I'm sure she was very pretty, and enticing and seductive. But Joseph experienced something so much better, Jesus. So he was able not to be taken by surprise and say, oh my, what do I do now? I mean, I mean come on, I could be in prison. I could be exit if I don't please him. Oh, that didn't matter to him. He sought the approval of God more than the applause of people, including Potiphar's wife. And he said, how can I commit this great sin and sin against God? No way. Why? Because he was attached to Jesus. Why? Because he had Jesus in two important locations in his life. In front of him and next to him as his guide, leader, and helper. That's how. Not to be shaken. My friends. I address this question to you and myself. Believe me, I'm talking about myself. And that is, now, as I'm speaking to you and sharing this with you, it's easier to preach than practice what you preach. And often we preach the sermons we need ourselves. I want to ask you and myself the question right now. Do you have a peace in the rock, Jesus? Do you have that insurance no matter what happened to this world? You'll be okay. So many Adventists I talked to are building a cabin out in the boonies, right in the sticks between the mountains, and getting a lot of food and water. You know, I don't mind that. I like to live in seclusion, away from the crowd. But do you think with an electronic age, people won't know where you are? Do you know with electronics, there is no secret. Everybody knows everything about us. Be careful the messages you send. It's stored somewhere. I don't know if it's iCloud or somewhere in Utah, underground. It's stored. Someday it could be flung in your face. They know about you. Uh, it will be hard to find a place to hide. Why am I saying this to you? Because when you're anchored in the rock, Jesus, you don't have to worry what happens to you. Why is life so dear to everybody? By the way, there is more to life than this life. This Satan can cause our death, but he cannot destroy our eternal destiny. I testify before you by the grace of God because I'm walking with Jesus. I'm not afraid to die. That's not the worst thing that happened to you, by the way. And I believe God's going to allow some of us to rest in the grave until the resurrection because he knows we won't be able to handle the tough times ahead. Death could be merciful to you. Let me tell you about my people in Syria, ancient Christians. 
they beg for death and death is not given to them. I beg you, be merciful and kill me. No, we want to suffer. And they're tortured for days in the worst ways, begging to die. They're forced to watch their daughters being raped, their wives being raped and killed before their eyes. I beg you, kill me. No, you have to suffer more than death. Don't be afraid of death. Why? Because you anchored in Jesus. And Jesus is life eternal. And he shares with you his life, salvation, and eternal life. He shares everything with you, even his eternal life. And he's in charge of life and death and the resurrection. And that's why on the tomb of my father in Syria, he is resting with my mother from all this violence. Nobody can touch him in the grave. And my dad's favorite verse is inscribed in concrete. I saw a picture of it in Arabic. The words of the, I am the resurrection of your own life. If you believe in me, though you die, you shall live again. I feel bad for people who don't believe. Great. Scholars, inventors, geniuses. They spend their lives developing their gifts and talents, but they don't believe in God. Can you imagine having everything go to waste and they die and that's the end for them? Life never intended us for us to die. God intended for us to live. And because of this wicked world and sin, some of us might die, but we are assured of eternal life. Thank God. Nobody can give us eternal life except Jesus. Muhammad cannot do it. Buddha cannot do it. Confucius cannot do it. That's why Jesus is uniquely qualified to solve our most, most pressing problems. Now, I'd like you to look at page 66 for a moment to show you the example of another martyr by the name of John Chrysostom. Did I say page 66, right? 66? I'm glad it's not 666. That'll be too long of a book. I wrote a book called Christ Method Alone. And there are six steps. A saint who meant well. Dr. Saman, I'm worried about you. Why? Because you have a book with six steps. Well, it happened to be six steps. I don't like six. Okay. So I wrote another book called Christ's Way of Making Disciples, a sequel to the book. It was six steps. And she came and taught. She was serious this time. Please, the third book you write, don't have six steps. Because if you do, it will be six, six, six. So the book I wrote had no steps at all, and she was relieved. Some people think that way. It's funny, but some people think that way. So don't judge them. Don't just laugh with them. Smile. Because they think that way. The into numbers. And so, I guess, page 66. Can you imagine I have a book, 666? Now, you know something else. Some people write books that have six, that have 1,500 pages. Don't do that. We live in a culture where people can't stand reading 600 pages. If you write a book, write a simple book with the message. 100 pages, 200 pages, not more than 250 or 3. That's it. Maximum. Page 66. Look at that. Hid in Christ. Hid in Christ, anchored in Christ. Somebody said, Dr. Saman, your voice wasn't loud in the first seminar. Is it loud now? Can you hear me now? You hear? You know why I wasn't as loud in the first seminar? Because my wife brought me such a wonderful meal. It was so good. I had to have a siesta. I don't normally have that. In the hotel, I fell asleep, sweet sleep. And my wife looked at my face, and I was so peaceful, rested. She hated to wake me up. And then, 10 minutes before coming here, she woke me up. 10 minutes we have. We better hurry right now. And so I just grabbed everything, put some water on my face, and broke the speed limit coming here. And so I want to confess to you the first seminar while I was speaking to you. Did you know I was half asleep? 
I was still in a slumber because seeing citizens like me, you can just wake them up and they firm as they're awake. It takes them a few minutes, a few minutes to be really awake. So now I'm really awake. It says here, John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers I admire a lot. He reminds me of Daniel and Joseph and Job. As a young man, he was brought before the Roman emperor to defend his faith. Someday you and I will be brought before authorities to defend our faith. Do we have a reason for our faith? Now is the time to take advantage of this precious window opportunity to prepare ourselves to stand before magistrates to give reason for our faith. He had yielded himself totally to God as a living sacrifice in the following encounter with the emperor. We are reminded of three Hebrews' encounter with Nebuchadnezzar. As you read this moving exchange, contemplate where you are in your relationship with the Lord and the peace and security you can have when you unreservedly abandon yourself to Jesus. And this is how the conversation goes. And the emperor says, If you persist in being a Christian, said the emperor, I will banish you from your father's land. Chrysostom replied, Your majesty, you cannot do that. The whole world is my father's land. Page 67. Then I will take away all your property. You cannot do that either. My treasures are in heaven. By the way, someday all our properties, all our possessions, all our accomplishments will melt away with fervent heat. Are we investing in heaven? The treasure will never pass away. Oh, oh, with all due respect for you, emperor, you cannot take away all my property. Why? Because my treasures happen to be in heaven. Nobody can take them away. Are you investing in heaven? Am I investing in heaven? Then I will send you to a place where there will be not a friend to speak to. You cannot do that either. For I have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I shall have my brother Jesus Christ forever with me. Nobody shall separate me from the love of Christ. Nobody should be lonely. Because Christ is always our friend. He'll never leave us or forsake us. I'd rather have Jesus as my friend and have no friends at all. And my students who want to be popular, Dr. Someone have a thousand friends on my Facebook. I hope Jesus is one of them. I'd rather have Jesus as my best friend and have nobody if I have to. Then the emperor threatens him more by saying, I will take away your life. That's the ultimate punishment. Capital punishment. Take away your life. You cannot do that either. My life is already hid with Christ in God. That really frustrates our persecutors. They get frustrated. There's nothing they can do to store our faith. And that's why I have in the book the story, I have a lot of stories in the book. I like to tell stories in my writing and preaching and teaching why. I can't help it. It's in my genes because Middle Eastern people tell stories. Jesus is from the Middle East and he tells a lot of parables and stories. So please don't blame me for telling stories because Jesus told stories. Sometimes people see me after hearing me preach 40 years ago. And they forget all about my wonderful sermon and they only remember the story. Even the story I forgot myself. They still remember it. So I want the story to really impact you. I talk about Chrysostom, Daniel, faithful disciples. Jews. I'm now talking about a Muslim because our seminar at 2 o'clock is the ISIS crisis and last events. A Muslim convert to Christ. Now he wants to be a witness for Christ. And he started a radio program where people call in. And one of the callers was a Muslim imam who was angry with this man, this young man, who became a Christian to follow Jesus. And the reason he gave, because Muhammad can't save anybody. Only Jesus can save people. That's not a good reason. Muhammad doesn't have righteousness. 
Muhammad didn't have eternal life, but Jesus possesses righteousness and he possesses eternal life. And that's what we need to be saved. And so an imam called, he was angry at him and he began to swear at him, cuss him, demean him, revile him. And this Christian convert was patient. For half an hour, he listened to all this revilement. And the, and the Muslim imam ran out of things to say. And this Christian convert to Christ said, Sir, you have some more reviling? Do you want to say more bad things about me? Go ahead. He said, No, I'm finished. He said, Well, I just want to tell you before you leave. My Jesus said, Blessed are you when people persecute you, revile you, and say all evil things against you. Blessed are you. So, sir, please revile me more, because the more you revile me, the more Jesus blesses me. And the man was so upset, he hung on on him, hung up on him. What can you do with the follower of Jesus? We're almost indestructible. Why? Because our lives are connected with the eternal life of Jesus. Nothing can happen to us. I want you. Look, I find myself speaking Southern. Did you notice? You know, speaking French, English, some Spanish, some German, Arabic, and now the Southern accent because I've been working in the South for the past 19 years. So sometimes I find. Sometimes I find myself speaking that way. I did, I did, I did. Well, so I should be careful about that. By the way, do you understand my accent? People advise me to change my accent as a public speaker. I said, no, I'd like to keep my accent. Why? Because it's more interesting and people pay closer attention. You know, I mean, if you're not used to my accent, first few seconds you have to pay attention. And that's a very good thing for listeners to pay attention. So I'm keeping my accent. Why? Because when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven, he'll give me the perfect accent. To be the accent of heaven. The best accent in the world. So I want to look at page 141, okay? Page 141. I'm just sharing the gems we have in our textbook. 141. Entitled, Daniel, a type of Jesus. That's an interesting title. How is he a type of Jesus? Meaning a symbol for Christ. Meaning, meaning an ex a Christ living in his life. And his experience. And I like to look at these numbers here. Daniel's excellent example in being persecuted for perfection is a fitting type of Christ. One cannot think of any other Bible character whose life was so thoroughly examined for so long without a hint of fault or trace of guile. Please don't be discouraged about that. No, no. Oh, God wants to do our best. I don't know how many can really be exactly precise like Daniel, a photocopy of Daniel. All I'm saying is, with Christ held by his grace, he walks with us, we do our best to reflect his image. And God steps in to compensate for all our deficiencies. It just happens that Daniel seems to be in the Bible the most sanctified person. Let us look at some revealing comparisons between Daniel and Christ. One, God referred to Daniel as a man greatly beloved. And God said this of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Two, Daniel's enemies had to admit he was blameless. No fault or error was found in Daniel. And Christ dared his enemies by asking, which of you convicts me of sin? He committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. Three, Daniel was falsely accused by his enemies as disloyal to Darius. Jesus was falsely accused by his enemies as disloyal to Caesar. For Daniel's enemies were motivated by envy, and Jesus' enemies were motivated by envy. Five, Daniel was found innocent. 
Jesus was found innocent by Pilate. Six, the rise condemned Daniel against his better judgment. Pilate condemned Jesus against his better judgment. Seven, Daniel was condemned by a decree of the Medes and Persians that required the death penalty. Jesus was condemned by a Roman law that required death sentence, a death sentence. Eight, the lion's den was closed with a stone and sealed with the king's signet and the signets of his lords so that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. This was to generate, to guarantee no interference by anyone for, anyone for or against Daniel. Christ's tomb was closed with a large stone. It was sealed by command of Pilate in order to secure it against any tempering by friend or foe. In both events, the sealing helped to authenticate that the deliverance and resurrection were unquestionably divine miracles. Nine, Daniel was saved from the lion's den. Top of page 142, am I saying reference to Jesus being saved from the lion's mouth according to Psalm 22:21. Ten, it was said about Daniel in his ordeal that he was delivered because he believed in his God. The Jewish leaders mocked Jesus, saying, He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. 11. Daniel did not have to die. He was delivered from the den of death early the next morning without experiencing death. Yet Jesus had to die the death we all deserve because he was resurrected from the tomb early the third morning. 12. Daniel was delivered from the den of death in honor and glory. And the good news of God's deliverance reached the whole empire. Jesus was resurrected from death in honor and glory. And the great news of the resurrection reached the whole world. And then, below that, I'd like you to read this on your own as an assignment. We don't have time to, to apply to you and me personally. Daniel, a model for the final remnant. Tomorrow, we'll be discussing the papal encyclical by Pope John Paul II. I discuss in this book, analyze it thoroughly, about the Sabbath and how Pope Francis I of our day confirms it, upholds it, relating to Sunday law. That's coming upon us. Do you believe Sunday law is coming upon us? Here in this book you have in your hands, I have, I have a chart, a working chart of last day events. You will have the national Sunday law and then the international one. We'll start tomorrow with that. And let me just conclude by saying that the first counterfeit for God's gift in the Garden of Eden. By the way, there are two great gifts in the Garden of Eden. Greatest gift of God. Marriage and the Sabbath. And the first one has already been counterfeited. Enforced by law. By the Supreme Court of the United States. A very monumental decision never happened in the history of the world. From the creation of Adam and Eve. Never happened. And now we're on the verge of the second counterfeit of the Sabbath, which is Sunday law. Do you resonate with me? Am I talking through thin air? Do you resonate with me? We're living in the last days. That's why I felt impressed to research the subject of having the character of Christ and daring to stand like Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone, even alone. Someday, every one of us would have to stand alone, but yet always with Jesus. Don't depend on your friends to stand with you. There'll be a lot of betrayal in the last days. Even family members would betray us and take us to court. Therefore, dare to stand alone. Dare to make your purpose firm. So many people today are wobbly. Make it firm. We have nothing to fear. Christ is with us. He is the rock. 
who is the Prince of Peace, who, who moves his hand above the storm and says, Peace be still. Don't be afraid of fire because Jesus is a consuming fire. He's able to fight fire with fire. I heard a preacher speak at camp meeting some years ago. Every evening he talked about the time of trouble. As a theologian, he was correct in everything he said about the time of trouble. But he said nothing about Jesus who will walk with us through the time of trouble. At the end of the camp meeting, everybody left troubled. Our mission is not to be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in me. When Jesus walking with you in the time of trouble, you're not afraid of the time of trouble. You know why? Because Christ is never afraid of the time of trouble. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're walking with Jesus. We're not afraid. Why? United we stand with Jesus. Alone we fall. So I'm just sweating your appetite for the meeting tomorrow. I'm going to leave you some extra time because I think someday I took an extra five minutes and I felt guilty about that. So now I'm giving you five, three minutes like my students tell me, Dr. Saman, took five minutes now. Please give us 10 minutes, free time. And so I'm going to pray and then the taping will stop and I have a couple of announcements to make. Let's bow our heads. Loving Father in heaven, may Jesus, our mighty intercessor, mighty prayer warrior, to our need to each one of us right now. And encircle us with his loving human arm as a son of man. Encircle everything about us. May he espouse our prayer request to stand firm like Daniel. Please espouse his prayer request to stand firm to build a spiritual reservoir right now and to be ready so you won't live regretting what we could have done in times of peace. And may this prayer quest by faith ascend upon your divine arm as a sovereign son of God, reaching the throne of grace and grasping it for each one. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.